0: Thanks for listening to the Mentors for Military podcast. Our goal each week is to bring you amazing content and guests. Support our podcast by visiting our Patreon site at www.patreon.com forward slash mentors, the number four M-I-L, to pick a tier that is right for you or donate any amount you like. It's that easy. You may even pick up some cool swag. Or have an opportunity to help us co host an episode. Help us bring you an awesome episode each week by visiting patreon.com forward slash mentors4mill today. This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, Trusted Natural Solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DoD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag optnatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code mentors the number 4 mil at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military Disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. This is the Mentors for Military Podcast. I want to know a little bit about your background, so that the audience gets a chance to understand who you are, Mia. Because you got a degree in microbiology, Is uh, biochemistry, biochemistry. Close. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, you ended up going on the physician's track and, and becoming a doctor.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I wanted. I knew I wanted to be a doctor in high school, maybe even middle school, um, growing up, and um. I knew that one of the best ways to do that was through the military, <laughs> and um, I was looking for scholarships in high school, and I came across a recruiter's office, and um, they really emphasized ROTC, actually, for me. Um, and my dad did Air Force ROTC, so when I came home, he was like pleasantly surprised <laughs> that I wanted to do um, Navy ROTC. And so I ended up actually starting at Boston University my first year with the consortium, the Boston consortium, which has six schools, BU, BC, Tufts, and then Harvard, MIT, um, and I'm missing one, Northeastern. Um, so I started majoring in biochemistry and actually in, during my ROTC time, um, I wasn't getting a lot of feedback that I could go the medical route. Um, ROTC really emphasizes um, unrestricted line officers. So I was honestly really worried um, that I wasn't going to be able to go to medical school, even if I got in, even if my grades were really good. Um, And I did a lot of, like, searching on forums online, and I knew that there were – Spots out there, um, about 15 across the nation for ROTC or the academy. I'm not sure if that's together or if that's separate. Um, so I knew it was possible. <laughs> I just had to figure out how. And luckily, one of my ROTC instructors, he um, was considering going to medical school himself. And he told me about USIS, the Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences at Walter Reed. Um, so he really told me, he like made a timeline for me. He's like, okay, you know, you've worked really hard with your grades so far. Um, you're majoring in biochemistry. You have one chance to take the MCAT. If you don't, then, um, you know, we're going to want you to pay off your time either as a surface warfare officer, potentially a pilot. Oh, um, wow. poten- <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> And, and that was actually the first year they were recruiting, recruiting women for submarines. So if you had a science or engineering background, they were like, you should come join the submarine community. And one of my summer cruises was actually on the USS Alaska, um, I think with 10 other female midshipmen. at that point, I already was taking the MCAT and knew I wanted to go to medical school. But um I figured out that if I could get in a medical school and prove to the Navy that I could get in, then they would probably um, let me go. So I still applied. I probably applied to 15 or 20 medical schools, um, started getting into some of them. And I actually really liked USIS when I went to go visit. Um, They really just, like, They really liked that I already did ROTC, that I had some leadership experience in their eyes, that I was committed to the Navy. I had some idea of what the military was like compared to um, some college students who go straight from college to the Navy or they commission um, right after. Um, So then I got in and went straight from commissioning Um, and went straight to medical school. Um, So I I went to Boston College, graduated from Boston College, and then went to Washington, D.C. in, uh, let's see, that was 2011, and graduated in 2015.
0: How was it, you know, getting all that experience at Walter Reed? I mean, because you see a number of different types of, you know, medical conditions and everything else, whether it's uh, from the veteran community, retirees, active duty, you know, that are coming and returning from combat, what a tremendous exposure! It seems like.
1: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, so because there's so many medical students at UCS, we can't all stay at Walter Reed. Ah, and okay. I, yeah, and I was one of the single ones, so I was ready to like pack my bags and. But it was great because I went to Army hospitals, Air Force hospitals. I went to, to Tacoma, um, Madigan. Jacksonville, Florida, and then I tried to get San Diego as much as I could because um, I just love San Diego and I had ROTC friends who were there. Um, so I still did get a wide experience with all three services, um, but Walter Reed did, they did have a um, certain like patients who were potentially senators. Um, President Obama, I, I remember. One time being in the library and he uh, was coming to the Wounded Warrior um, floor and because of that, you know, all the security had to come through and all of a sudden there was all this secret service like in the library and we didn't really, they shut they shut the school down like we couldn't leave the base really. And he landed like on the baseball field um, next to usis and then went to Walter Reed um, next door. So there's still like some cool glimpses um, like that where I got to be exposed to some of that.
0: Well, it was interesting that you started off your career. You went down to the recruiter, and he actually guided you to go ROTC because, um, you know, at least when I was on recruiting duty, most of my experience, if you had a college education or not, and you were talking about going ROTC or going that route, I'd probably talk you into going into an enlistment and going SARC or something of that <laughs> nature, right? Like, you know, much much more like you know Nikki here did and In, instead of going the route of going and getting your education because i lose out possibly on an enlistment you might change your mind as you go down the path you know Mm -hmm. what i mean you you may not finish out your ROTC commitment and Mm -hmm. sign the contract you know those types of Mm -hmm.
2: things
1: yeah yeah now i think i honestly don't remember that interaction that much i just remember being like looking for scholarships and um honestly looking back i'm like i didn't know
2: what I, was, <laughs> what I was getting myself into, like, so, I think like most people. <laughs> when you went through medical school, did you know what kind of doctor you wanted to be? Or
0: That was, was going to be my question as well. It's funny you said that. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so it definitely changed a lot. I initially wanted to do ER, mm-hmm. um, and I liked at USIS, because it's a military medical school, they really emphasize like deploying um like we did all the C, we did um some live tissue labs that were really eye opening like some of the best training i've ever had um we even our fourth year we do this thing called bushmaster where the fourth years are um we act as battalion surgeons. And then the first years are all, they have moulage done and they're acting as our patients. And we are, they're pretty much putting on mass casualties for us um, on this army base. in it was like in Indiana, I think. Um, but at that time I, I was so gun ho and like really wanted to do ER. I really liked ultrasound, um, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, just because of how quick you could figure things out. Um, so I really was into that for a while. However, I ended up matching with um, internal medicine instead in San Diego.
0: And so when you say matching with, that means that the needs of the Navy uh, matching?
1: Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of the, the needs of um, just the hospital in general. Yeah. Um You'll see that on the civilian side too, in terms of just people really needing primary care. Um, and ER is a it's it's just a funny thing because they're all like we need ER docs, and then they make it extremely competitive um, to get those spots. And I think it's only getting more competitive. Um, but yeah, internal medicine is more you're doing ward work. Um, I still did a a couple ER rotations, um, but internal medicine is, um, really taking care of older folks who, um, like almost none of their organs are (laughs) working. Like they have heart failure, kidney failure, liver failure, Mm. and they're extremely complicated. Um, so it's not as high speed, but I learned a, a lot, just a ton from, my attendings are, I mean, obviously all attendings are extremely smart, but the internal medicine physicians, they are really trained in figuring out very complicated and sick patients.
2: Yep. So. And that's where I saw you, I think, is when you came through um, the ER on a couple of your rotations. And yeah. I remember somebody was saying, oh, she does CrossFit. She's a competitor. I like, that's badass. <laughs> so yeah. yeah I was really interested in to see like what direction you were going to go where what community you would end up with yeah and again at USIS like they
1: in the Navy at least they want you to do a general medical officer tour so after your intern year you can uh, it's kind of like ROTC all over again like you can go on a ship you can go with the Marine Corps um, you can go to flight school or you can go to dive school so Even in medical school, I knew I wanted to do a general medical officer tour because I was super young, going straight from undergrad to medical school, and I wanted more fleet experience. Um, And uh, undersea medicine or UMOs or dive school, they were the ones who worked out the most, (laughs) basically. Um, And they were the ones, um, it was the smallest community out of the GMOs, um, it was the most challenging. So um, I, I had that seed planted early on um, that I wanted to do that after
2: internship. So how many females are in that community right now or physicians? Yeah, uh, good question. Um,
1: I, I would estimate um, like from lieutenant to probably captain, maybe 20 to 30 um in my class alone we had six at dive school and that was the highest number of females they've ever had in a dive school class in the history of dive school um and that was in 2017 so um their pao had us like get interviewed for a little article so but that um that spoke volumes to me and just looking around i was like okay the six of us like I guess this is the really big number <laughs> for this. How, how large was the class? So six out of how many? Oh, like, uh, I think we had 13. So we were half the class. Oh, oh wow.
0: wow. And all uh, six ended up passing and everything as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's great.
1: Yeah, so our class, um, we were all doctors, all. So we were called uh, UMOCs or UMO candidates. Um, so most of us came straight from internship, but there were a couple of people who are already board certified. Um, um, we had one pediatrician, one ER doc, those are the two off my head. So, um, but, so they're a bit older. They're, you know, they're not in their mid twenties and they're, they're going (laughs) to dive school. Um, but I know right now in terms of just Navy diving, there's only seven, um, I think there's seven or eight Navy, female Navy divers. So um, in the Navy diving community, it's um, very small. And actually the number of uh, female UMOs, uh, I think, bumps up that, that number quite significantly.
0: So tell everybody who may not know uh, what an underwater medical officer is within the, yeah. the Navy. Because it's not one of those career fields that I've ever really honestly heard of. So
2: yeah. <laughs> until
0: Nikki goes, Oh, she's an underwater medical officer. I was like, Oh yeah, sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Google I
0: became it. my friend.
2: Yeah. She's a <laughs> it, it
1: sounds like we perform surgery underwater or something, but that's not. That's <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, so we take care of the mariners, divers and special operators. Um, those are the three types of units we'll be with. Um, we do, a lot of physicals so anyone who is coming through the pipeline um there's a very rigid um criteria and like in the manual the navy manual of medicine that you have to be physically qualified for so um the first time you might encounter one is in boot camp if you're trying to go to any of those special communities um health wise we look through your record and do a physical to make sure you can do that um but that's that's one part of, that's like the administrative paperwork part of our job. Um, the cooler parts um, can be, you can be stationed at Navy Experimental Diving Unit where they're doing um, saturation diving. Um, you can be part of the SDV team, SEAL Delivery Vehicle teams in Hawaii. Um, the submarine bases are actually probably where most of the UMOs are just because they're the biggest group compared to the Navy divers and spec ops. Um, They have UMOs at buds medical who take care of the buds candidates who are going through hell week. Um, So it's any physician that has passed internship, um, has their own medical license and then also completed dive school themselves. So they, they've really kept it a tradition to make it, So that we have to go to dive school so we really understand the challenges of being a diver. Um, And then we take a course on hyperbaric medicine as well to learn how to treat diving injuries, basically the bends Mm. um, and a whole variety of um, like overpressurization or pulmonary overinflation syndrome um, types of injuries that you can see with more of the intense diving in the Navy.
0: So on um, the, you know, the divers that are doing the welding and the deep sea divers and stuff, did you have to go through that segment as well? Or is it just the rebreathers and, you know, those types of things or is uh, it all?
1: Um, so we do scuba and then we also do surface supply. So that's um, with the Mark fives and then the umbilical coming off of a ship. We didn't do any welding, um, which I'm honestly glad I didn't do that. I don't think I'd be good at that. Um, but we still go through pool week, um, which every like two chuck one chuck um, class goes through. But then we like we all kind of have those same initial three or four weeks, and then because at dive school you'll have like EOD classes and the CBs and um, you'll have PJs there. So there's all these like very specific groups, and then we kind of all split off and do this other training. Mm-hmm. So.
0: That down in, where'd you go? uh, Panama City or did you go? Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: Panama City.
0: Okay. I thought so. And um, once you get into that, then I know at one point you were describing some of your career path there. I mean, you were evaluating BUDS candidates and individuals that are going within the soft community. You've done some of those things that you mentioned, uh, but you know, on a daily basis, kind of take us through the life of what you do now as a underwater medical officer. I mean, is it still more of just the evaluations for people who are looking at coming in the community or is it is it more of um, really dealing with people with the hyperbaric chamber and and those types of things?
1: Yeah. So my job, um, I actually got pretty lucky because I thought it was going to be very administrative initially, but it turns out I got a pretty good mix. Um, So I'm at the PSET, the pressurized submarine escape trainer in Groton, Connecticut, um, which is the biggest submarine base. And so all of the, um, BEST students, which is an acronym for basic enlisted submarine school, they come through the trainer and we're. it's a high risk trainer where we're teaching the students how to escape a submarine in a pressurized suit in case there's ever um, a chance there is a disabled submarine.
0: Okay, so how yep. far is that suit good for? Because I, when I think about a submarine that's not doing well, that means it's a couple miles down. And yeah. <laughs> being, being a uh, you know a diver myself, I get to thinking um, that's not good. You know, there's there's nothing good from that, especially when you're talking the bends.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um it's supposed to be for I'm not sure the exact number, but um I mean our tank is 37 feet, and that's what we train at, but. Um, I don't want to give like specific numbers with how many hundreds of feet, but they they would be looking at hundred escaping from um, hundreds of feet um, wow. below surface. so um intense. Yeah, yeah, it's a very specific scenario if it were to happen, but the Navy prepares for it, and this is how we um, train students to do that. so we we train enlisted. But we also train the SOBIC or submarine officer basic course um, officers as well. So pretty much anyone who's going to be on a submarine, they they try and come do our trainer. We only, after a medical screening and a hyperbaric chamber run, probably about only 20% actually do a full 37-foot escape. But the class is watching everything the whole time, so they're still taking in the training um, and in, like seeing it happen before them, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I'll go to clinic um, one or two days a week to help out there. Um, but my main job is screening these students and then being in the building in case we do have any um, diving injuries because we we have the students escape um, at six hundred twenty-five feet per minute, so extremely fast going against. All diving rules. (laughs) Uh, Oh,
0: my God, yes.
1: So they're at risk for getting um, pulmonary overinflation syndrome injuries um, like pneumothoraxes, um, pneumomediastinum. And then the one we're most concerned about is AGEs or arterial gas embolisms. Um, But we do have two hyperbaric chambers in the building. We have two doctors um, in the building and DMTs and an IDC um, in case anything does happen. Um, so that's, that's my main job. And then the clinic and administrative work is also obviously there.
0: (laughs) So you have no like 15 foot safety stop, let the nitrogen out for a period of time, nothing like that. It's bam. And if, okay, if all of a sudden you're feeling a little funny or things are not going right, all right, let's put him in the chamber then. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really fast paced. Um, it's, you know, 99% of the time, nothing goes wrong yeah. um, because the students are lear- like they're doing what they're ex- exactly like supposed to be doing. The instructors, there are all divers, um, but just like with any high risk trainer, like the Hilo dunker kind of like there is a mm-hmm. chance, even if you follow all the directions, all the instructions um, that something can happen. So is,
0: is there a recertification for these guys or is this just like a one and done?
1: Just a one and done. Um, You'll see some of like senior officers like this building, this tank was built in 2009 and you'll see like more officers at the captain level or commander level who didn't go through it. And they're like really fascinated by it. And they're like, oh, I want to go through it. (laughs) Um, Just once to to understand it. So, yeah, it's it's more like if you can do it while you're here, that's the best thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So when you get out, how is this transferable? Cause I'm very curious about that.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, I mean, they use hyperbaric chambers, um, more on the wellness side of things for, um, helping, uh, like people with diabetic ulcers who need to help regrow that tissue. Um, it's, yeah, it's not super transferable to the civilian side. Um, there's just- well, the Coast
0: Guard has a number of sites right throughout the country, and just in case you get out there on a you know a re- you know regular fun dive, and all of a sudden something goes bad, you know the whole idea is they try to fly you in, life, flight you in, hopefully into a hyperbaric chamber where you can get the type of you know support that you need. But there's not very many of them. That's a the bad thing.
1: Yeah, there's not many of them, and most of them are probably owned by um, the military. Yeah,
0: Coast Guard or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, which,
1: yeah, yeah, which will usually require some type of like CO approval or higher oh, nice. up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a higher <laughs> up approval. Um, but I plan on doing something called occupational medicine um, after my second tour of being a UMO, which is. Um, it's a master's in public health and then one more year of on-site um, clinic training where you are taking care of special populations of people which is essentially what I'm doing now um, just in the Navy but on the outside you would work for a big company like Exxon mobile or um, I did hear of a former UMO she works for the Smithsonian and She's the occupational med doc for them, and really? um, yeah, just physicals for people who are like finding um, oh, okay. artifacts and stuff. Sh- sure, um, and then like airlines, also they need a lot of flight physicals done, like that kind of thing. So, um, very like niche <laughs> specific populations, but at the end of the day, it's a lot of preventative medicine. It's a lot of the same um, blood pressure med nutrition, exercise, um,
2: type of medicine. <laughs> so. so are you going to do that through the Navy or are you going to get out? And um,
1: that? yeah. So, um, I'm probably going to go back to USIS just cause I, I am familiar with it and they have a lot of connections, um, with the CDC, NIH, um, a lot of those resources in Washington DC, but the occupational med residency programs, um, that, a lot of my colleagues have gone to. I've one um, peer; he's at Harvard right now, and um, U- UCSF, UC Irvine. Those all have occupational medicine programs, and they really like um, Navy because the government is paying <laughs> for the residency. So um, there, there's a chance to, you know, really pursue um, some of those, like really higher named schools, but I'll probably go back to USIS just because, um, I, I liked USIS and
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> so who were some of the people that you felt like really influenced you either on this path, the medical path, or, you know, was it something that as you kept going, you just started carving out your, your future or, you know, because I, the CrossFit side of you obviously, kind of steered you to, way, uh, to the direction of something a little bit more physical, something more challenging, you know, those types of things. But was there somebody or an individual or a number of individuals that kind of helped carve your path?
1: Um, I think it was just over time meeting people from different special communities that not necessarily even doctors, really, um, just people who were in these special communities that, um, you know, they talked really highly of UMOs. Um, they really liked their UMOs, like, and respected them. And, um, I think along the way, it was more of that than finding a specific mentor, um, just because there, there weren't any female UMOs that I knew. And most of the attendings I had, um, or mentors that way were, they were in the hospital, um, working like more of the normal job. So I can't really think of anyone specifically, but Cro- CrossFit did um, have a big part in my decision-making. <laughs> um, I started doing it at my second year of medical school and um, just How knowing that. did
0: you have time for that? I mean, I yeah. thought you was going to say something like high school or somewhere, you know, but med school?
1: Yeah, wow. yeah. It was it, yeah, it was the summer I believe of my yeah my second year, and I was just trying to find something to well actually it was because of dive school because dive school the PST has six pull ups in it, and I did gymnastics when I was younger and I knew that I can do pull ups I just gotta like get back to it and um, CrossFit was coming on the scene. So I just found the local one closest to my med school and really fell in love with it. And I was probably only doing one class um, a day. And then as I traveled, I would go find a new CrossFit gym everywhere I went. Like, so, yeah, I'd go to Florida, find a gym, go to San Diego, find a gym um,
0: we just talked about this actually on a recent episode and it was around the same topic that the great thing about CrossFit is that you don't necessarily have to be a member. You don't have to have a known routine. You can just show up at a gym like you're talking about, pay your 25 bucks, look at the wall. It'll tell you what to do. It's a no brainer. Go do it. Mm-hmm. And you don't know, have somebody kick your butt for, you know, the time that you're in there. Then you get to go do it all over again the next day or the next time you go in.
1: Yeah, yeah. And honestly, like (laughs) for someone I was moving every four months. Um, so even the friends I made in medical school, like I wasn't necessarily with them and whenever I went to a new gym, it was like having a new group of friends. Like everyone was so nice and they'd show me all the local spots and it was just so easy to like assimilate. Mm -hmm. And um there was a time where I thought I was gonna match to Portsmouth instead of San Diego. So I did a couple of rotations there, and one of the gyms in Virginia Beach, um, CrossFit Takeover. I I really enjoyed that gym and all the people there. And so now it's just crazy because that you start having friends like all over the nation. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then you started competing on a team, right, out of San Diego. Yeah. So San Diego is really where I I caught the bug. Um, just
1: because it's at that time, it was really like the CrossFit Mecca. Um, so I started going to Invictus there. And this was in 2016. And I was actually coming off an injury. Um, and it was my intern year. Um, but I I was I don't know, I really wanted to be on a team because um, I just really wanted to compete. And um, I was probably at that point like I have been crossfitting for three to four years, so I wasn't brand new. Um, and I think in my head, I was like, oh, th- this would be something like really cool to do. It's just I didn't I didn't have a lot of time. Um,
0: I was just going to say, you, yeah, you just needed <laughs> something else to add to fill the void of that little bit of time that you did have available in your life.
2: Well, yeah, that, <laughs> the intern year alone is already I know. Quite rigorous. And then, I mean, to train for competitions, how many hours were you in the gym? Um, probably at least two hours a day. Um, but I, I would go, so the key, like really for
1: me, I had to find a 24 hour gym. Um, MCRD at that time was open. I think that was open 24 hours. So if I couldn't make it to Invictus, like, and I was getting to the gym at nine, like I, (laughs) I would go straight from work to the gym. Um, and that's literally, that's all I did. It was either work Gym or sleep um, for especially the ward months. Um, the ward months, if you talk to any physician, they'll say um, wards are some of the longest days. Um, you're there from 5 a.m. potentially to 8 p.m. And then that's like a regular day, um, depending if you're admitting that day or if you have clinic or if you're on nights. Um but somehow I, I managed to get on the second Invictus team. Um, so it wasn't like the premier team is like G- the JV team, which I was completely <laughs> fine with. Um, because the, the main team, like they're, they're practicing together at like 1 PM every
2: day. And I'm like, I can't do, this. you know, like, like their, their job is to work out and trained for that the competitions. yeah
1: so you know their recovery is you know they're sleeping seven to eight hours a day they're eating perfectly yeah you're at a
0: higher risk for injury right because you're just not yeah you're not getting all of that
1: yeah yeah i i did order meals i remember just being like i don't have time to cook so i'm just gonna order meals um but sleep was definitely the hardest thing especially switching from um Nights to days, um, but like on nights, I remember I'd come home at like seven or eight in the morning, and then I'd sleep till I try and sleep till two or three. Go to the gym, um, from, like three to five, and then go to work um, for nights.
2: I know you made it to regionals, right? Mm-hmm. Did you ever make it to the games too, or?
1: No. So I made it, uh, so the first time I competed was in 2016, the California SoCal regionals in 2017, I had to go to dive school and, um, that year individually in Florida, I was like the, I was like 50 something. So, and at that in 2017, there, I think at that time they were only taking like top 20 individuals. Um, and then 2018, when I got orders to Connecticut, I found another competitive gym called Ocean State CrossFit up in Rhode Island, and I made it onto their team, and we got eighth um, that year. So we were close, but.
0: So you were sixth fittest, though, in Maryland, right, in 2017 CrossFit Open? uh, Sixth fittest
1: in, uh, in Maryland?
0: Yeah, I think so. That, oh what... yeah.
1: Is that why? Um, yeah. Like I think I ha- that might have, that might've been just for doctors. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought it was 80.
0: Maryland. Okay.
1: Yeah. They have, um, like they have different categories for like first responders, um, military physicians. Um, so it's kind of fun to look at it that way. Cause you're like, okay, well, you know, you have more of, you know what other people's schedules are like.
0: Yeah. Um, So how have you used CrossFit today to kind of help other people? I mean, I noticed in, you know, looking at a lot of the the stuff that you put out there on social media, you do a lot of coaching, mentoring on your site. I mean, you're really about that and trying to help and give back to others and such. So um, have you found that camaraderie and that teamwork that you, you had there that you found? And each time you went to the gym, that's what you're trying to do is share that same type of thing through the social media platform?
1: Yeah, I think um, just honestly sharing what I'm doing at the gym, like having hard days at the gym, um, showing all the wins, but like showing all the bad stuff too, just like the days you don't want to go. I think it really does um, motivate people on another level that, you know, when you go to the doctor's office and let's say you're overweight or you have high blood pressure or something like that, and your doctor's like, well you got to work out more, you got to eat right. And you have that little conversation and there's just not a lot of time to, um, really communicate that. And I found on Instagram that, um, it's, it's another, it's just an easier way to communicate to people like how important, um, lifestyle is and how, um, you can make the gym, a more everyday thing. And it doesn't have to be intense CrossFit, um, even though I think most most of my followers are probably other CrossFitters or military. Um, so, yeah, I'll add a lot of, like, tidbits, too, just about nutrition, health, um, because I think that's how a lot of people are learning nowadays is um, through social media. People are watching YouTube. They're following Instagram. They're not necessarily paying for cable anymore um so and it it, you know it's something you know I I think I just had Facebook in medical school but um I think it would have been interesting if you know I had this platform earlier
0: yeah because you're right so many people if they want to pick up whether it's yoga or some type of fitness program it's so easy to go on YouTube and all these other different platforms and uh, Vimeo or whatever the case may be and Um, Find an instruction video, you know, lesson by lesson, you know, to start people out very slowly rather than going in and trying to go 100 miles an hour or something, you know, and and the the tips that you're talking about, take care of your body, get the proper rest, get the proper diet, you know, going as well, because those things are equally as important as the workout that you're going into, you know, and understand it's a bit of a lifestyle change as well, you know, listen to Mm -hmm. your body, all those things Mm -hmm. that you're kind of sharing, I think it's really good that you're doing that, not to to mention you're also sharing the bad with the good Mm -hmm. so so many times in social media people are just putting out you know all the good stuff and never sharing all that that other stuff you know
1: right right yeah i you know i get my injuries like here and there um and you know but i still try and show like i'm still doing something there's still there's like there's always something that you can do and a lot of the submarine like the basic enlisted submarine students that come through i'm counseling them um in person about you know quitting smoking quitting tobacco products quitting vaping all these things and um and it's just funny because on instagram like that's also like what they're they're looking at too so if if you can live by that and um you know, communicate that another way, I think, to this generation, like, mm-hmm. they're, more, they're more into that. And they can see, like, oh, okay, well, no, she really means, like, go to the gym, she's in the gym. Um, but I was lucky enough to do a little, like, segment with America's Navy um, or this past year. They reached out to me, which is the more of the recruiting page um, for the U.S. Navy, mm-hmm. and they sent, um, a couple of people to Groton to literally film me working out. Um, and it was for January, like get back into shape, um, new year's resolution, um, type of thing. And because of that, um, I, I noticed that I got more and more, um, like younger, a lot of people who are interested in enjoying the Navy or who are just really young and, and they want to go into these special communities where, um, like dive school buds, like things that are, are very hard. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's just nice that they can have a source of motivation or they can learn, um, on their own that way.
2: So have you seen the armies kind of lean towards, um, thrown around more weight for their fitness test. Do you think the Navy's going to follow suit? Uh, I hope they do.
1: But, um, I, I, yeah, I've seen the army's new, is that their CFT?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the, the hex bar, um, deadlift and, um, yeah, it, it does look way more functional and, um, I think it is more appropriate, like per job to have, um, um, specific movements that you should be able to do. I'm hoping the Navy does, but, um, it's hard to say. Cause I feel like they usually follow suit with what the army does. Um, yeah. but I'm well, like, that's
0: cause everybody thinks <laughs> that we don't lead the way. Uh, thank you so much <laughs> for saying that. Um, <laughs> the, so, you know, what's interesting about that is that, um, it is supposed to be tailored more to the things that a soldier is going to expect or see in a combat environment. You know, you are going to have to climb over a wall or lift a body or you know drag something or you know whatever those type of situations are. And so this is supposed to uh, mirror those situations and get you better prepared rather than just push up ups two mile run. And so I think if the Navy adapted something, it doesn't necessarily have to follow exactly to the T what the army has done, but I think it does benefit to your point, all military branches trying to identify in our service, what is the need and what are our people going through? What are they um, challenged by and everything from a physical standpoint? And let's tailor a program that's best for that.
1: Yeah. And so, um, back in the day, when I was a freshman in college, I, uh, I was thinking about joining the Marine Corps instead and switching over. um, Also, basically, because they like to work out. Um, And so I took their CFT, I would take their um, PT tests with them. So even in college, I was doing like, the buddy drag and the the throw and um the 800 meter yeah. yeah and all the pull-ups and like the ammo can lifts and stuff and um but yeah i think that i i hope the navy um does incorporate some more weight cuz i just think i mean i personally think it's um just useful for people to know how to pick things up safely mm-hmm. um and we do need an overhaul from the the constant like push-ups and
0: Sit ups. <laughs> so, what's in the future for Mia? Long term retirement within the Navy an option. I know that you're probably having to pay back some service here for all the college that they uh, helped you get through. So, what's next?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, I tend, I do have. Well, you know, like you know, I I have negotiated orders to go to Hawaii next um, to be with the submarines out there in Oahu for three years. So I'm hoping to really enjoy that tour. And then I plan on returning back to occupational medicine at USIS and then doing another tour. Um, but I do have a long time to pay back um, four years for ROTC and then seven years for USIS. And I'm only about three or four years back into my payback. Wow. So, so if
0: you go through the USIS um, again, does that mean you have another payback on top?
1: So, whenever you're being like going back to school, they and it's longer than six months, they will stop your payback and count that as training. But then, if you do it at USIS, you can concurrently pay back that residency oh, nice. time with yeah. Whereas if I go to like Harvard, let's say, then um, it will stop, and then it will add more time. Sure.
2: So, um,
1: yeah. So I'm definitely going to be in for a while um but i mean i've had so many benefits um with just schooling and especially in the medical system um especially because like civilian doctors are so burdened by medical school debt it's insane um so I'm really happy that I made the decisions that I did.
0: Yeah. You're getting exposed to some really cool stuff though, even in the special operations community, you know, and, and those types of things. And now You know, I think the Navy, as I understand it, the SEALs are going to start going a lot more back to their bread and butter of what they started out as. And so uh, because of that, that means they're probably going to be doing a lot more, I'm assuming, dive operations and a lot more underwater stuff that's going to cause individuals like yourself with a lot of experience in that area to be able to help and work with that that type of environment, which is really cool. So switching gears Mm -hmm. CrossFit wise, what's in the future that way?
1: Yeah, so they changed a lot of rules um, this yeah. year, if, if you follow <laughs> CrossFit. Um, and so, like, this year for the games, they only had 14 teams go, whereas normally they were probably about 50. So the chances of getting to the games is just getting smaller and smaller. Um, I. You know, I'm I'm 29 right now, and I'll always do like some form of CrossFit. Um, but if I move out to Hawaii, then I I probably won't be with as competitive gyms as, um, I've gotten the chance to be pretty laid back
0: Uh, atmosphere there, Mia. Yeah,
1: it is. (laughs) I know. And I might, you know, I might try looking into, I might do more diving, like recreational diving out there, um, try and learn how to surf. And I mean, I'll, I'll always enjoy like lifting weights, um, being in the gym, but, um, it's definitely a job and I've been lucky to like, have the time and the resources to do like two-a-day workouts um to try and like compete at this elite level um and i'm gonna do another competition team wise um in miami it's called Wadapalooza um next year it's it's just like a big party Mm -hmm. (laughs) if, if, if that makes any sense uh yeah so I'll still, like, I'll still compete um, when I can. But, um, yeah, probably going to the games isn't as much of a goal as it used to be.
2: I thought there was a team out of Hawaii that used to either go to regionals or the games. They did, yeah, CrossFit 808.
1: Um, yeah. They, they follow Invictus's programming. And the last time they sent a team was when it was a six-person team. Um, and I have dropped in there. So, I mean, potentially, it's it's more the challenge of um, traveling to compete as much, to get, like, a whole, like, four people to travel to Iceland or South Africa or, like, chase these sanctionals around. Um, wow. That's, yeah, it gets expensive. And um, so... I'll probably do local competitions in Hawaii, but, um, yeah, I'll definitely keep an eye on CrossFit 808. (laughs)
0: Some, Some people are going to be listening to this who may have not heard about you or followed you and stuff in the past. So what are the ways in which people who want to keep up with your routine, want to get some of the coach and mentoring that you offer out there? How do they, how can they find you?
1: Yeah. So, um, my Instagram page is, uh, the best way, just Mia fit, M I A F I T underscore M um, D. I do have a little web page in my bio, but um, really finding me on Instagram is
0: probably the best way. I'll we'll probably put a link in the the show notes and everything. Mia, I really appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule in order to join us, uh, and uh, hopefully we haven't taken too much of your gym time away tonight. And and uh... no, <laughs> right.
2: it's all done.
1: It's all done. <laughs> so, oh, good. I look like a mess.